So tonight I'd like to talk about the quality, the beautiful quality of equanimity. As life is flowing through our hearts and minds as we are practicing here, in each moment that we are truly trying to be present, we feel a little more texture in our inner terrain of life as it flows. And we are also becoming more familiar with it, which means that there's a sense of presence which becomes really palpable, which we can clearly, some of you have manifested this even today, a sense of palpability, of sensing the relationship with the fluctuations, with the movements of life, the changes that occur in the body and mind. It's this extraordinary situation, once again, I'm mentioning it because it is truly extraordinary to be able to have this opportunity, preciousness of situation where we can give ourselves fully to sense what it means to be aware, to be alive. That's all that we are doing here, just devoting ourselves to the practice of being. And we can therefore see also very clearly for some of us there are moments that we will face the habit patterns of the mind. These moments when we lean forward into the future, into wanting something else. This tendency to get lost again and again in past situations. In yesterday or 10 years ago or in childhood stories. Very naturally these movements of the mind appear to us and they become so real that we have the possibility of noticing how it is that we lean toward something that is happening in the future or something that has happened in the past. And so rarely do we relax into this present moment and how often we see that it's not so easy to just be with what is and just rest at ease. But the practice, the very fact that we are here with all these hours of presence, there begins to be a relaxation that comes just because we are giving ourselves to the task. And in that ease, there is a noticing that allows for liberating the mind, allows to see clearly what is. It liberates wisdom. Over and over again, we manifest this wisdom when we're just present. 
And so when we're exposed to these habit patterns that clearly at times bring us pleasure, at times bring us pain, we need to emphasize the aspect of gentleness, of kindness, of compassion, of softening the heart so that we can meet those places where there is a sense of stickiness, those places that are not easy to meet, that can be so challenging for us to really sense what it means to be challenged by the habitual pattern of clinging, of getting caught into wanting or not wanting. Equanimity is that ground, that terrain where wisdom and compassion can truly manifest. It's that terrain where we can begin to have a state of mind that is able to see without reacting. To see what is without reacting. The Pali word, the common word, there are a few, but I'm just going to be simple with the Pali tonight. The Pali word is upeka, and it means to look over or to be standing in the middle of things. And it really refers to a quality of balance, of steadiness. If you want to simplify, equanimity allows us to not be knocked over again and again, knocked over by the events of life outer events or inner events. Equanimity, as Miyoshin talked about, is the last of the Brahma-viharas, or divine abodes. Equanimity manifests also in regard to enlightenment factors, or factors of awakening. It's the last of the factors of awakening. Equanimity appears also in the teachings of the paramis, of the perfections. So in the teachings, this wonderful quality of balance, steadiness, appears. And I'd like to talk about it here as a nutriment which will fulfill and help our practice of mindfulness. When there's this caring attention, there's a growing manifestation of that quality. Now we can think, because there's so much of wanting or not wanting, of fear, of moments of unease, 
where we are really knocked over, we may feel that there is not much equanimity in our practice. And you can hear me talk and say, but what is she talking about? You know, there's clearly absolutely no equanimity that not one minute have I felt this quality or this power that manifests within me. And when we are tormented by fear, when we are tormented by the unknown, holding ourselves to know because it's clearly less painful at times to sense this sense of fear because I know what fear is about. If I let go, I don't know what's going to be happening in the next moment. Therefore, there's a holding on to getting caught again and again in those same spots. And yet, there's a possibility of truly sensing underneath if there's a presence, just the simple fact of mindfulness, there's a possibility of sensing quietness, some calmness, which is manifesting just because there's awareness. If there's mindfulness, there's awareness, then there is a part of ourselves that is able to meet the fear, to meet the unknown, to meet the aversion. And to really notice that this is also manifesting within our practice. To give it a sense of, yes, I'm seeing aversion, there is fear, and yet there's a possibility of staying stable. This is when equanimity becomes a strength in our practice. And it's not that we need to look for equanimity, it just is arising when we're just staying mindful with what is. At times, we can get caught in the beautiful, in the glorious, in the pleasant states that are so seductive. There can be attachment to pleasantness. And over and over again, you know, we get seduced. So there are endless ways that pleasant or unpleasant can catch us. And it's normal that for each one of us there'll be ups and downs. It's not a linear practice where we can sense that there's progress and today is really much better than yesterday or a week ago, and now I've been here for three weeks, and I can sense that there's true progress. Of course, there are moments when we will feel, all in all, much more able to be with the events of life. And there are moments when we'll think it's day one, after three weeks. 
just because there's this roller coaster of ups and downs, of highs and lows. Whatever it is that you're meeting, it's just fine. Whatever it is, is fine. Equanimity really arises when we begin to trust. To trust that what is happening is what needs to happen. That there's a lawfulness to this process. And there's a possibility of having a sense of the changing nature of life, of inner events. And at times, just not be shaken so much by these events. And to go with the flow of life. And so we get lost and we come back. And there's a moment of clarity when we see, we understand, we comprehend what has happened here. How is it? What is it that manifested, that really attracted the attention? And that made me lose mindfulness or presence. And even when there's fear, even when there is aversion, these deep states that are so frightening at times, there's a possibility of just staying present. This is a poem from early Buddhism. It's probably an enlightened poem that speaks to the mind that flows along with experiences rather than resist life. It says, if your mind becomes firm like a rock and no longer shakes in a world where everything is shaking, your mind will be your greatest friend. And suffering will not come your way. Everything can be shaking. Everything can lose ground. And our mind can still be our greatest friend. And that's exactly what we're calling for here. No matter what are the circumstances. Things are as they are. They manifest and they change. They come and they go. And yet, the mind can stay firm. Now, this is the quality that we are training in. This is exactly why we're here, to make our minds be our friends. And you may think, oh, but there's not one moment when my mind was a friend to me today. And yet, this is why we're here. We're learning. We're here to really become friendly to 
ourselves. That who we are is just okay. We don't need to be somebody else, a better practitioner, better yogi. What does that mean? You know, ask yourself, what does it mean at times? Just waking up to what is it that I want that is not already present? So equanimity is this allowing to be able to face what are called the torments of the mind or the vicissitudes of life, the worldly winds. And equanimity really speaks to us when we're faced with these eight vicissitudes of life, which are gain and loss, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, fame, disrepute. And of course, we all want the first one, right? We all want gain and fame and pleasure and praise. That's exactly when the wanting mind is so clearly manifesting. Usually that's what it wants. But we know that it's not possible. If we're reasonable and there's a little bit of wisdom in our minds, you know, we know that life will not only present those pleasant and yet they're vicissitudes. We, they're as tormented as the unpleasant ones because they do not bring true peace in the mind. These happen all the time, you know. One second it's pleasure. The next it's pain. Just going for a walk a while ago, I said, oh, wow, it's, it was sunny. Suddenly there was a moment of sunshine, and I was just so happy, feeling the sunshine. The next second, there was this huge cold weather coming, cold wind that hit the neck. And it was, oh, how unpleasant. And, you know, the body contracted. It's just happening in those small moments when, because there's a body, there's sensing experience, moment after moment, sensing pleasure, Sensing pain. And here, there was the awareness to really realize, oh, moment of pleasure, moment of pain. We heightened our level of awareness by practicing in such a diligent way. These circumstances are extraordinary because we're offered the possibility of really deepening our understanding again and again, acknowledging just what is happening. At times being thrown away, knocked over, and at times not. And it's really interesting to see when, at those moments when we resist, 
when there's just resistance in the mind, these are the moments where mindfulness, awareness, can be drawn to the resistance itself. Rather than staying connected to a step, to a breath, notice what is the attitude in the mind. Is there acceptance? Is there a willingness to meet the resistance? Or am I not aware at all that there's even a resistance? I'm not wanting? And it's not that we are running away from our resistances. Equanimity will flourish and will deepen from that encounter. Incredibly enough, it's by allowing ourselves to meet the difficulties, the resistance, whatever it may be, and knowing how to deal, learning how to get off balance and then come back to balance and then again meeting the resistance and being off balance and regaining balance. All these movements of mind just naturally, organically bring this quality of equanimity, of it's okay. So if we don't know, you know, how am I supposed to be equanimous in a situation where everything is tumbling over me, where I'm just losing all sense of contact with what is happening? Simplify. Just simplify your practice. In this moment, this very moment, here and now, there's a possibility of just knowing what it is that is happening. And Ajahn Chah has a beautiful way of simplifying the practice. He said, the heart of the path is so simple No need for long explanations. Give up clinging to love and hate. Just rest with things as they are. This is all I do in my own practice. Resting with things as they are. This is the practice of equanimity. It takes learning. And we're here for that wonderful adventure of opening to experience, resting things, allowing things to be the way they are. In one moment of non-clinging, there's freedom. And definitely, we've all had moments of non-clinging where there's just what is. So resting the mind is a quality of equanimity before it falls into extremes. And that's one of the characteristics of equanimity. Extreme of clicking for or against. 
liking or disliking, wanting or not wanting, however you want to call it. We have our favorite words for this. But in a way, it's exactly that. Before it falls, gets lost into the extremes. One way that I've found very helpful is to, when there is this sense of getting caught over and over again, is to really allow a bigger space. Meaning that we open the awareness, or allow ourselves to feel in harmony, even with the outer space. Beyond this body, if there is a sense of contraction, of resistance, which of course will be felt energetically, then there's a possibility of just opening this field of awareness as big as we need to. It can include this whole room. And allowing this spaciousness to come forward will just help us see the bigger picture. So there's more space in a way that we don't let ourselves drown into this oppressive, depressive, drowning manifestation where we don't feel there's any space and we're so narrowing the perspective that of course we get caught into clinging for the pleasant or pushing away the unpleasant. So that sense of space just gives a sense of lightness. Just because we'll see more clearly what is happening. Opening the awareness. This form of equanimity that invites spacious awareness is compared to the love of a grandmother. It says it's grandmotherly love, that equanimity which clearly a grandmother loves her grandchildren with all her heart. But thanks to the experience that she's had with her own children, she just has that perspective that it's likely that she won't get caught like the parents do in the dramas of the children, you know? Children can have so many dramas, and yet that grandmotherly love just stays equanimous, can listen, and doesn't get caught. This is the form of equanimity that just manifests when there's more space. So it's really bringing that bigger picture that will help. Maybe even using hearing at times to open the field of awareness. Take that as a primary anchor rather than the breath. Just investigate for yourself how it is that you can help that bigger picture, seeing more clearly 
And at times it's challenging, you know, our practice clearly. <laughs> There's so many moments of, of challenges. And <clears throat> I'd like to, to share an experience where I really learned so much from being so caught. And yet it was probably in my own practice the time when I most learned about equanimity in my early years of practice because of the challenges of outer circumstances. Here, it's really a deva world. (laughs) There's no doubt that we're not really challenged. Um, Of course, there'll be things that will not please us. But like one yogi said, you know, the other day, in this field of dharma, there's no way that I can put my challenges outwardly on outward circumstances. Everything that I'm suffering about is, can only come from my own mind because of these extraordinary circumstances. Well, in my early practice, in the early 80s, I had this extraordinary desire to practice in Burma because there was a sense of wishing to practice where the teachings had evolved for so long and needed just a sense of feeling more closely um, what it would be like to practice in Asia. And at the time, there was this huge monastery with thousands of yogis, monks, nuns, lay people at Dhammayekta, the Mahasi Center. This was in the early 80s. And so I prepared um, this trip for a long, long time, really looking forward to it. And it was difficult to get to Burma because of, um, not even difficult now, but then, to have a long-term visa to practice was a huge deal. And so I waited for months and months to get this visa, and I had planned a trip to go to Burma during the winter months, and unfortunately, the visa had not arrived, so I got to go a few months later, and it was not at all the good season to go there. But I thought, this is a unique opportunity. I'm going to go anyway. and. I arrived at the center, at the Mahasi Center, and it was pouring rain, it was wet, it was sticky, it was hot. And of course, (laughs) um, the conditions were very different from what my mind had imagined. It had imagined, well, a bit of place like this one, you know, quiet, solitary practice and really pleasant. And it was everything but that. There wasn't even a meditation hall for the lay woman. It was part of a room where um, there were the elderly lady from Burma who were just not wanting to stay at home. And so they were cooking and washing their dishes and chatting all day long. So the environment was not a silent one. And then I got all these mosquito bites because... um, I have a tendency to really be quite allergic to to bugs, and so this is what happened. And so every single day, it seemed like it was more and more challenging. 
every single day there was something that really forced me to be aware, to be present, to stay with conditions as they were, or I was going to move out of there. There was absolutely (laughs) no alternative in one way. And then one day, um, I realized that there was an ant nest just below my bed. And on top of the mosquito, I got bitten by really very um, small red ants, but I had them all over. It was just like I had swollen up and... Even the Sayado that was there said, oh my God, you know, I was really deformed. It was just like this double size. of, <laughs> And um, my mind then, I was just weeping and crying and it was allergy and I didn't have the medicine anti-steaming to, to hold this. So you can just imagine the restlessness and the itchiness of sensing that body. And one day, just after that happened, I see that there's a mosquito net hanging in my room because then there were no mosquito nets. And there was a mosquito net in the Dharma Hall just for me. Nobody else had one. (laughs) The great fortune. Because of the condition that my body was in, I didn't need any more. So that evening I go back to my room really quite hyped because of the mosquito net, thinking, okay, this is going to be the end. I go back to the room mosquito net had gone, wasn't there. And I thought, oh my God, you know, what have I done, you know? It just was like, you can't implore God because there's no God. But, you know, I was really taking refuge in, in Buddha Dhamma, saying, but why is it so difficult? Does it really need to be so difficult and so challenging? And then I have the thought, oh, but there's a mosquito net in the Dharma hall where... I just sat. And so I went back and I said, I'm going to take that mosquito net back to my room. I go back to the Dharma hall and there's this yogi sitting on my seat (laughs) under the mosquito net that was given to me. And I thought, oh no, this is just too much, you know. I'm not going to be able to take that mosquito net from that person. But that yogi who was from Singapore... Um, just thought it was okay to sit there. You know, the sense of privacy in Asia is definitely different from (laughs) what we know here. And um, clearly I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit. I'm going to ask her to leave. And so I very kindly, you know, tried to uh, ask her to just get out of that mosquito net. But she didn't. She just sat next to me. Another mosquito net. And so we were both sitting there in a space which was, of course, for one person. And so I was trying to get the mosquito net tucked underneath, but it wasn't big enough for two. So the mosquitoes got in. Just to tell you how (laughs) these conditions were just excruciating. I mean, really, it was just like, let me die. You know? <laughs> and Saira Upandita, in fact, that very evening had said, because <laughs> we had a Dharma talk from Saira every evening, which was quite wonderful. And in those days, he was young and very fit. <laughs> and he said, You have to die for the Dharma. 
to really understand, and it's exactly how it felt. I was just dying to see the truth, but not because I wanted it. I don't think we choose. (laughs) We never choose to die to see the Dharma. Yet, when these circumstances are just so excruciating, and here we do have times, you know, when it will feel a little bit like what I just described. This is an opportunity for just taking it in. And I was just thinking, where is the equanimity here? How can I practice just being stable with the circumstances as they are? Is it possible? And yes, it is. And of course, I didn't understand that then. I can tell you there was aversion and there was everything but equanimity. And yet I survived. (laughs) And every time that we feel that there's a sense that we're surviving, whatever it is that we need to face, it gives us the sense of greater trust in the path itself. It gives us this opportunity to really allow life to come in, that we can be touched by life. The running away, we think that there's a running away that's possible, but is there really a possibility of running away from what is? I don't think so. You know, look for yourself. <laughs> and you'll see that we don't have much control on the events of life as much as we would like to have control. That's not what's happening. And it's an incredible teaching when we're able to meet experiences and begin to open to feel everything. And this is the practice of equanimity. In very simple words is it's that ease that begins to come that comfort, not because it's pleasant, not because it's agreeable, but because there's just a firmness in our awareness. There's a stability. In our mind and body that at times allows for this unshakability. And it's true unshakability that even when there's strong winds, there's the possibility of the ballast that, you know, keeps the ship upright, that it won't go in this direction and that direction. And for having done a lot of sailing, I find the image really quite fascinating. It's true that without a ballast, that ship, you wonder, you know, it'd be shaken all over the planet. All the winds come and go. 
And so that subjective experience of unshakability, that inner experience within, it's really that state of mind that is just spacious, open, that releases the reactivity when it's present. And it's not about never, ever having reactivity again. Definitely, there'll be plenty of moments of resistance and reactivity. But, can I meet the reactivity? And really, beginning to inquire, to investigate, what is this relationship? What is this attitude of mind? When there's reactivity, is it open? Or is it clothed? How often, when we try to not face the reactivity, we just fuel the energy of reactivity. (coughs) Just because we want to run away. And there's greater pain in that. And I'm sure all of you have seen this. And so in just staying present, There's a natural rebalancing. And it's true that it's natural. Every moment, every movement that we'll try to do something will push us off, will pull us in the next moment, will push us into something which is not the present moment. So there is that natural balancing. Rebalancing, trust that. Awareness itself brings that centeredness back. We just need to be here, here and now. And in that movement, there's a deepening understanding of allowing things. And what I saw and that incredible experience of (laughs) Burma, is that there can be a lot of pain and a lot of despair. Pain in the body, despair in the mind. A lot of unpleasantness. And yet, there is a sense of life. Life is living through me. Life is living through you when we're allowing ourselves to meet the pain. And not that we need to do anything about it. If it's present, then it's just what it is. And I've also noticed that everything that is pleasant I mean, how long is it pleasant? Everything that's pleasant, if you notice, you know, you stay long enough with the pleasantness, it just becomes unpleasant at one moment or another. And we can see that. So this ideal of pleasantness is not the truth. I think that we're practicing here for something which is extremely important. We're practicing for liberation. 
And often we mistaken our goal. You know, there's, there's a sense that we want to become peaceful. We want to have more calm. We want to have more tranquility. Calm, peacefulness are byproducts. Liberation is what this path is about. We're practicing to understand ourselves so deeply beyond the self, beyond the me, the mind, the who I am. And to have difficult situations, difficult happenings, just deepens this understanding that we can be liberated in every moment that we're present. And it doesn't need to be calm and peaceful to feel free. The Dalai Lama says, peace does not mean an absence of conflict. Peace does not mean an absence of difficulty. Peace means solving the difficulties through peaceful means. And I find that so beautiful because that's exactly what the qualities that are enabling true peace, true liberation. Peaceful means meaning opening the heart, calling forth loving kindness, the softness of heart, compassion when there's suffering, and equanimity to stay stable in the face of the events of life that are painful. And it's really simplifying our way to liberation that will be most helpful. Simplicity is exquisite. And so often, there's a sense of, oh, this is too simple, you know? And yet, when we accept, we truly accept things the way they are, we value that simplicity. We can sense the exquisite feeling of just allowing what is. This is a poem from Lehman Pang who says he's an 8th century Chinese Zen master. He says, My daily affairs are quite ordinary, but I am in total harmony with them. I don't hold on to anything. I don't reject anything. Nowhere an obstacle or a conflict. Who cares about wealth and honor? Even the poorest things shine. My miraculous power and spiritual activity 
drawing water and carrying wood. And in a way, that's what we're doing. Drawing water and carrying wood. So simple. In that simplicity, there is just no setting up of value judgments, of setting goals for ourselves. And if you think, oh, I'm just so far from equanimity, look at my mind. It's all over the place. I can't accept who I am as I am. Notice the thoughts that just keep you away from meeting this moment with simplicity. They're just thoughts. Do we need to believe them when they arise? And they will arise. But do we need to really give them power? Notice how we can get trapped by our beliefs. It's just wonderful to see a thought just for a thought. It's not the truth. So that equanimity that we're talking about is really involved into simplicity, but it's not passivity. It's not resignation. It's not being cut off from life. It's not this voidness, blank emptiness that we think we're going to be, you know, not touched by anything. It's absolutely the opposite state where there is action and there is engagement, even creative engagement. We're fully alive and, and being present with what is. It's mindfulness that really helps that state of equanimity, that continuity of mindfulness is so precious. And this natural flow of the movements of life will just manifest themselves. And in the depth of our mind and heart, we allow that deep, deep trust into the unknown. This is what will enable us to deepen the understanding We allow that mystery to emerge. And a mystery is a mystery. We don't know. We really don't know what the next moment will offer. It can manifest in all kinds of ways. But definitely, if there is that emergence of the mystery, it always brings about the possibility of a deeper understanding, the possibility of a deeper wisdom. From trust, this wisdom, this understanding manifests. And it happens every moment, in each moment, that we just see an arising and a passing away, and a rising, a changing, maybe a sensation, a thought, 
an emotion, a sense experience, arise, change, and pass away. It's in this moment that it can manifest, not in another moment. And then we sense that which liberates the heart and mind. There's a great joy that can emerge from that mystery in letting be and letting go. When there's less control, more acceptance, more allowing. Just wisdom is revealed. And the practice of equanimity points to that ultimate goal. It really gives us that possibility of leading one to the cessation of suffering, to the cessation of clinging. This path and having equanimity as a firm ground, there's ultimately a greater release in the heart and mind. And it is that release in the heart that allows one to move from confusion, from delusion, to understanding and to liberation. I'd like to close with a poem from Mary Oliver that's called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble, and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world. Determined to do, the only thing you could do. Determined to save the only life you could save.